Executive Auntie, a podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz, and this is a mini episode or audio newsletter. I haven't decided what to call these yet. But in these mini-sodes, I'll be sharing some top-of-mind thoughts on freelancing, working as a creative, or just life as an Asian American, man, because it's rough out there. Uh, I can also respond to listener questions, which you can send by text or voicemail to 614-585-2289. And today I want to talk about mm, what to do when you get an inquiry or maybe you see an RFP for a project that maybe you're not fully qualified to handle. And... A little bit of backstory. So last week I got an undercut, um, which if you're watching the video version of this, you can kind of see there. And I went to a local hairdresser who is Asian American and I, and I, and I've been to them before and been happy with that cut. And so and our salons here are open, um, unlike perhaps in other parts of the country. And so I went to this hairdresser that I had worked with before and I showed them the I showed them a couple inspirational pictures and they were like, oh, okay, let's go ahead, let's do this. Yeah, this is cool. And then as they started cutting, uh, I started hearing things like, oh, this is difficult, this is challenging, which is really not what you want to hear when someone is cutting a large amount of hair off your head. <laughs> and uh, and at one point they said, oh, I am a hairdresser, not a barber. And I was like, a what now? There, what? And I didn't really know the difference between a hairdresser and a barber. I still don't really know the difference between a hairdresser and a barber, but it became clear that this hairdresser maybe was not the best person to go to for the type of undercut that I was envisioning. Uh, And after a little bit of Googling, so a hairdresser typically cuts hair with scissors and a barber typically cuts with clippers. And I guess to get an undercut, you probably need clippers. And, and, And they, you know, they use, they did use clippers to get you know, they they scissor cut the majority of the hair off in the back and then they used clippers to um, kind of get it real short. Uh, but they did not know what they were doing with the design part, as became evident when they handed me a mirror to look at their work. It was not like the picture that I showed them. Uh, and, (laughs) and I was like, okay, let us try to salvage this out of Tiger Queen territory. And we kind of (laughs) did, kind of did. Um, and mostly, and like throughout this process, they were at one point they were like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. I never sweat during a haircut. And I was like, again, not what I want to hear when you've got like scissors and 
fuzzy cut things on my head, like really not what you want to hear. And so you can probably tell I, because I'm not showing it to you, <laughs> I wasn't thrilled with the result. And, you know, and, you know, I still paid, I still tipped because, well, you just tip because that's the right thing to do, but also it's a pandemic. So don't be an asshole. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to this hairdresser and, and I feel bad and I feel kind of bad about that, but you know, I trusted them. I trusted them to do this for me. And I feel like they were not honest enough up front. <laughs> and maybe they just overestimated what they were capable of doing. But I feel like they weren't honest enough about their lack of experience. And I don't know. To me, that kind of puts a strain on this relationship that we have. And sometimes as a freelancer or as a creative, you will get an inquiry for a project that is beyond your usual scope or specialty, which I hope that you have. And I can probably talk a whole other episode about choosing a specialization, which I probably will. Um, so sometimes you get an inquiry for a project that is not your usual cup of tea. Um, for example, I build websites and sometimes I will get clients coming in who also need a logo and they need colors and they need their copy written, um, which I used to do all of that um, to kind of borrow a software development metaphor. I kind of was a full stack website builder um, and, and it was okay. <laughs> it was fine. Um, but I... I'm not a designer. I don't have any formal graphic design training. I don't think I have a particularly design brain. And you know, you don't need to have a graphic design degree to be a graphic designer. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I don't think, I think I am, I don't even have like the basic design thinking. Um, it's very intuitive and kind of willy nilly for me. Um, and I'm just not that good at it. Like I can't hand draw a logo. Like I can't do any of that stuff. But I was in the beginning of my freelance career, I was trying to do all of those things, do the branding, do the logo, write the copy and then build the website, um, which was fine. I was I was OK enough at all of them. Uh, but eventually I realized I'm not that good at branding. <laughs> I really, I'm not that good at it. And because I'm not that good at it, I don't like it very much. Um, I don't like the process. I don't like the results. Um, and so I eventually was started, um, I eventually stopped doing that. I stopped doing the entire, uh, you know, workflow of building a website. And I said, okay, clients, you have to come to me with a logo and with your branding all done. Um, and then actually I went even further and I said, okay, I need well, for certain packages, I need your logo, your branding and your copy needs to be done. Um, or sometimes I would, you know, I also do email marketing and usually working with service based businesses and then to write them welcome sequences and things like that or uh, information products, sales funnels for those. And sometimes I would get questions or inquiries for e-commerce, which is a whole different 
thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's using a lot of the same tools, but in different ways. And I have never felt confident enough to take on one of those. Um, or sometimes I'll get inquiries for very custom website development, which is also above my pay grade. And it's tempting, um, less so now, but especially at first, it was really tempting to take those projects. One, I just wanted any project that I could get my hands on. Um, I wanted the money, I wanted the experience. And so it was tempting to take those. And sometimes I would, and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, I would often undercut myself uh, (laughs) for these projects that I wasn't always super qualified for. Um, And I get it, especially in crazy pandemic times, you know, a job is a job, a project is a project, money is money. Just be careful um, when you're facing these kinds of projects. The client is trusting you to deliver results. And depending on what kind of clients you work with, they're, they may, you know, and I work with mostly small businesses and other creatives, they are trusting you with something that means a lot to them. Um, Like, my hair. (laughs) And so when the clients are trusting you to deliver results, and if you bite off more than you can chew, you know, not only will you not be able to deliver those results, but I think you will typically tend to create a not super pleasant working experience, you will be stressed, they will be stressed. Um, and that can really, and, and if you are not conveying confidence, if you, if you, if you jump into a project and you're like, sure, I can do it. And then halfway through, you're like, I need to Google this, you know, and you let the, and the client knows that and figures that out, which they will, um, it can create a less than pleasant working experience. And that can really chip away at the client's confidence in you which could potentially put them off hiring you again in the future forever. And also, they're not going to refer you if they don't have a good experience. Um, So just be careful with projects that maybe are beyond your usual can. Um, A couple things that you can do instead of getting in slightly over your head You can always offer to just, especially like, especially say you really need some money, some income, you can offer to just help with the part that you are good at. Um, You know, I can say, hey, I can, if you can go get these emails written, I can put them into your ESP lickety split or, um, or I can, you know, If you come, like I do with my actual clients, I say, okay, come to me with a logo and I can do this part for you. I can build the website if you have your logo and your branding all done. Um, If you are just, if you're wanting to do that, make sure, make yourself easy to work with. Because what you don't want to do is hand them 50% of what they need. um, And then they have to turn around and go find somebody else and pay twice as much to finish the job because then they're going to just then they're going to be upset that you didn't finish the job and you also made it difficult for them to get the job finished with whoever they brought in after you um that does not 
that's not a good look. <laughs> um, if you're only going to do part of it, make sure that you make sure this is where your offboarding will be really, really important. Instruct them on how to use what you've done for them and go to the next person that they need. Um, instruct them on what the next steps are, how to understand what it is that you've made for them, how to talk about it. Um, honestly, I could, I would even, you know, maybe give them some sample verbiage to use in seeking to hire the next person in line to finish the project. Um, Offboarding for this kind of thing will be super duper important. So make sure and make sure that your work is neat and clean and that somebody else can come in and pick up where you left off. Um, maybe even write them, whoever that next person is, you know, a little letter saying, okay, here's what I did. Or you can make a loom video and say, okay, here's what I did. Here are these parts. Because having been brought in to rescue a lot, more than a couple websites, um, it's very tricky and very difficult to just like parachute into a site that I have not built and figure out like, what is this? <laughs> Where are the things that I need, especially if it's a theme I haven't worked with before? Um, so make it easy for the client to get the next person to finish the part that you are not going to do for them. Uh, better yet, refer them to a specialist, preferably somebody that you know and have worked with before. Um, and this does a couple things for you. One, it, it makes it easy for the client to get what they want. And once they get what they want, they will remember that entire process as like, oh, okay, like this was good. You know, Jen did this part and then person B did this part. And they will, the, if, if they have a pleasant memory of the whole thing, they're going to be willing to come back to you or maybe refer you for just the part that you did. Um, and then when you refer to somebody else, that also builds your own referral network, which I don't know about you, but at this point, probably 100% of my work comes from referrals. Um, I don't do a whole lot. I, I do very little marketing. I do very little prospecting. Um, it all comes from people that either I've referred work to in the past, um, and it doesn't have, but it doesn't have to be a tit for tat like that. It can, you know, it can just be somebody that you know professionally and you get to know what they do. Um, you've seen their work, you've seen their work style. Um, and by that, I mean not like their design style, but like how they interact with clients, um, which is a really important thing to know about someone that you're going to refer to another a potential client to. Um, if you completely refer out a project, um, you know, poke your head in with the client and see how it's going. Um, not in a, I want to scoop this sort of way, but just, a, you know, a referral is a responsibility. When you make a referral, you are somewhat responsible, not completely, not even mostly, but you are a little bit responsible for how that project turns out because it was your recommendation that that client took. So, Referrals are great. I love them. Be careful with them. Pay attention. Use, um, you know, build, spend some time building those professional relationships um, so that you are able to make good referrals. Um, taking that up another degree, you could also just, you could also, instead of farming out the whole project, bring in a specialist 
to do the part that you're not qualified to do. Um, and they can either be a subcontractor or they can just contract separately for that part. Um, but you can still, and it depends on kind of how it's set up, but you can still be the driver of that project. Um, if you do it that way, um, let's say let's say I'm building a website and the client does not have branding um, and they and they're like, I really want to work with you. I was like, okay, that's great. So here are some options. Here are some designers that I've worked with in the past um, that I really like. And we will work together to build a website. Um, because, you know, you can make a design, you can make a whole like branding suite that doesn't work super well on a website. And so you want to have, so I want to have that discussion with that designer um, if they're, if they're going to be, if we're going to be working together on that, I want to have that conversation with that designer. Um, and also I do the project management piece of it because my piece is bigger. Um, you know, I'm going to be the one who's driving the pro the pace of the project and making sure things are on deadline as well. Um, so if you're collaborating or either, again, either subcontracting or like just partnering on something, which I've also done before, where, um, you know, a designer will do the graphics and I will write the copy and we're working to get, we're working like in tandem the entire time. Um, and typically, and I think I've done that a couple times, and typically one of us will serve as the overall project manager um, doing most of the communication with the client. It depends on the, it depends on the circumstances. If, you know, it's somebody that I've worked with before and really, really trust, I'd be like, okay, you just go ahead and dialogue with the client directly. Um, if it's somebody who, I haven't worked with as much before or just somebody who doesn't really want to bother with the client interaction, um, I will do the project management in that case. Um, and just make sure you build in extra time into your estimate for that extra management work, keeping people on deadlines, communicating with various stakeholders. Um, I had a I had a client who is a landscape architect and I would work on their project proposals and their teams were like, the, you know, they were the landscape architect. They would bring in engineers, civil engineers. They would bring in stormwater experts. They would bring in sometimes cultural experts. Like a team is a great thing to have, but you want to make sure that you build in that project management time um, into your estimates for that. Um, finally, and this doesn't happen super often for me at least, but sometimes you may run into a situation where a client comes to you, they want, they think they want something that you don't do. Um, and as you look at, as you scope, as you scope them out and kind of get to know what they're about, you realize, oh, actually they need this. And I do do that. Do do he he. Um, and they, and I do that piece. Um, you can do that as well. If you if you truly believe that this alternate solution is the best for that client, you can and you happen to specialize in that, you can steer them toward that. Be careful <laughs> with that. Um, that you, I think, you have to play that very diplomatically. Otherwise, it will look like you're just steering them towards something that you can do for them. Um, so you want to present that solution very carefully. Um, so I don't say all of this, I don't say all of this to say that 
oh, you must tick all the boxes on an RFP um, or a client inquiry to be able to ever throw your hat in for anything. That's not what I'm saying. And especially if you are a woman listening to this, and I, I think like they've done studies of women who are applying for jobs and women are much less likely to apply for a job that they don't have all the qualifications for. Um, they're much less likely to apply for those than men are. Um, if you have the majority of if you have the majority of what they're looking for, go for it. Uh, but just make sure that you have a game plan for how you're going to meet all the needs of that project if you are not going to be doing the whole thing yourself. Um, I wish my hairdresser had sent me to a proper barber uh, like 40 minutes earlier <laughs> into the process uh, than when she was like, I don't know how to do this. She, she didn't say, they didn't say that, but um, yeah. It's okay to go in for projects that you may not be an expert in. Um, just make sure that you have a plan to deliver good results for your clients. Um, so if you have specific questions about freelancing, again, you can text or leave a voicemail for me at 614-585-2289. Next week, you will hear my interview with Stephanie Wu, who is the articles editor at Condé Nast Traveler and founder of Mochi Magazine. Hit subscribe so you don't miss that episode. See you next week.